Good morning, everyone. How are we doing this morning? All right. That's wonderful, I think. Well, good morning. Uh, you guys, there's something special going on on Wednesday. Does anybody know what takes place this Wednesday? That's right. We got boatloads of students and leaders that are going to get on to five buses and head up to Trout Lake Camp for five days of fall retreat. And we want to be praying for fall retreat over the course of this week and while it's going on. And so I want to lead us in prayer for fall retreat in just a minute. But before I do, I want to call your attention after you go out through the doors today, there is a board out here that has prayer requests on it that you can pick up and be praying for over the course of this week for fall retreat. And so by all means, as you're on your way out, go and pick up one of those and be praying for it this week before they leave and then while they're there at retreat as well. And let's pray for that right now, friends. Uh, join with me. Father, what a blessing it is to be able to do this. We recognize that this comes from your hand. And we want to ask for you to be moving and working over the course of this retreat. God, we ask that your spirit would be leading and guiding in each and everything that goes on. We want to pray for Joshua, the speaker, that you would be giving him your words, strengthening him as he speaks. Father, we pray for the informal times that go on of, of games and times in cabins, that your spirit would be leading and guiding conversations You'd be drawing people to you and to each other during this time. God, we ask that you would be strengthening leaders and giving them your wisdom. Uh, strengthen and enable them as they deal with less sleep than they're used to over the course of this weekend. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would be teaching students all weekend what it means to know you, to love you, to become like you. Lord, we ask for you to be blessing this weekend with your spirit's revival. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to encourage you to continue to be praying for that over the course of this week. We're excited about this coming weekend and what's going to go on there. We are meeting with the living God this morning. And we are doing so right now in our sermon series called Jesus Revealed. And so as we are walking through Mark, we're seeing more of who Jesus is and we're meeting with the living God in the person of Jesus as we walk through the scriptures together. And so I want to encourage you to open up to our first verse in our passages today. It's Mark chapter 2, verse 23. And as you're turning there, I just want to warn you, we are going to have conflict today. Uh, not, not between us. We're going to have conflict that we're going to see in the two passages we're going to look at between Jesus and the Pharisees. As a matter of fact, we're going to see Jesus get very angry in the passages that we're going to look at today because the Pharisees hold on to their human traditions and practices over God's word and Jesus' authority. The problem that the Pharisees had wasn't that they had human traditions and practices. We all have human traditions and practices in order to help us get through life. And we have them in all sorts of different areas in our life. I've got personal traditions. I brush my teeth twice a day. Is that because the Bible tells us to do it twice a day? No, I, I, I've come up with this tradition. And I brush in the morning and I brush in the evening. And some of you have a different tradition, and you brush more often than that. 
Some of you have a different tradition and you brush less than that. <laughs> we have mints on the Welcome Center for you. I have a personal tradition about where I have my morning prayer time. Does the Bible tell me where to have my morning prayer time? No, it's just a tradition that I have. It's in the same place every morning. I have a tradition of having a bowl, a small bowl of ice cream every evening. Small. I mean, it, you know, to me it's small. And when that tradition is broken, nothing seems right in life, right? Uh, we have family traditions. Our family eats artichokes every Christmas. That's probably a different eating tradition than your family has on Christmas. But you have Christmas-related traditions, is my guess, about when you open gifts, Christmas Eve, Christmas morning, how all of that takes place. And sometimes somebody in the family gets married and those traditions that another family has start to interrupt your family's traditions, right? And that is when we need that resolving everyday conflict seminar in our families when we begin to experience that. My family has a tradition in which when things go wrong and we get frustrated, we complain. Right? Anybody else have that family tradition? We are desperately trying to break that family tradition. Right? Uh, I, my kids are in their 20s, and I still hear them pray according to the way that we prayed when they were little kids. Every time we'd gather for evening prayer, we would pray through three specific kinds of prayers together. And I still, in their 20s, hear them praying according to that model because that's a tradition that has been implemented within our family. Within our families, we all get traditions, whether we've grown up in Christian homes or non-Christian homes, about worship, who we worship, what we worship, what that looks like. Some are healthy. Some of those traditions are really unhealthy. We all get traditions about communication and how we communicate with others. Some of those traditions are very healthy. Some are very unhealthy. But we all have family traditions. We have church traditions. Some of those traditions and rules get written down into a page turner of a document that will cure your insomnia called the bylaws. So we have some agreed upon traditions about when we'll have an annual meeting or what a quorum looks like. We also have a whole lot of unwritten traditions about what ministries we have and what evenings they take place. We have unwritten traditions about what we do when we gather here and how we dress and how we speak. And if you go to some other churches, you will encounter very different unwritten traditions. Right? We have cultural traditions. Some of those cultural traditions get written down. We drive on the right side of the road. It's been a tradition in this country for, for centuries that we drive on the right side of the road. Right? Why? Well, they do it different in some other countries, but it's our tradition, and we've written it down, and we've codified it. We also have some unwritten traditions that are part of our culture and society. Can you think of any of those? Have you ever gone to somebody's house and then stood at the door trying to get out the door for 20 minutes saying goodbye? <laughs> right? What is that? That's a Minnesota goodbye, right? We don't want to offend, so we're just going to stay there and say goodbye for 20 minutes. You ever sat for three minutes at a four-way stop because all of you are too nice to go first? That's why we're getting all of those roundabouts, people. Because <laughs> No, not really. Right? We have all sorts of traditions 
and we have to have them. The Pharisees had traditions too. And like our traditions, most of them started for good reasons, but they'd become a problem. And so in the two passages that we're going to look at today, we are going to look at how good traditions go bad. We're going to start by looking at how good traditions go bad in the middle of a field. Uh, we're going to start in Mark chapter 2, verse 23. One Sabbath, he, Jesus, was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? What were the Pharisees' problem with the disciples here? What are they doing that the Pharisees considered to be wrong? We might be tempted right off the bat to say, well, they're stealing. This isn't their field, right? They're plucking grain and eating it. They're like uh, Mary and Pippin when they get into Farmer Maggot's crops, right? Like, this is wrong. What are you guys doing? But that's not the issue here. In fact, in the Old Testament law, God provided for exactly this kind of snacking. Look at Deuteronomy 23, 25. If you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. Right? God provided in the law for this kind of snacking if you were hungry. He said, just no harvesting, people. That is stealing. But this kind of snacking in the middle of someone's field was allowed within. So then what is the problem? Right, the problem is it's the Sabbath. And this breaks the specific traditions and human rules that the Pharisees had put in place about Sabbath observance. God said in the Ten Commandments, Fourth Commandment, that he wanted his people to set Saturday aside as a day in which they didn't work and worshipped him. The Pharisees had taken that single command and had created 39 categories of human tradition around the Sabbath with almost 1,500 different laws. And here, they're breaking some of those human traditions. By plucking the grain, the Pharisees say, hey, you're reaping on the Sabbath. By rubbing the kernel of grain out of the husk, they're saying, hey, you're threshing on the Sabbath. Right? Stop breaking those rules. Again, the problem isn't that the Pharisees had traditions and rules. The problem that Jesus sees is that they have now elevated those traditions and rules to the equivalent of the Word of God as they determine how they're going to live and how they're going to act. And Jesus won't stand for it. And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. Jesus and his disciples are hungry, and they just ate. Some people think they shouldn't have. So Jesus takes them to an illustration from the Old Testament when there are a group of men who are hungry, and they ate. And some people thought they shouldn't have. In 1 Samuel 21, David has been anointed king, but he's not king yet, right? Who's the king at this point? Right? Saul is the king in 1 Samuel 21, and he is chasing David, trying to kill David. And David and his men have been on the run throughout the wilderness, and they arrive in this town called Nob. Isn't that a great name for a town? Nob. And when they arrive in Nob, that happens to be where the tabernacle of God, the worship center of God, the tabernacle is in Nob. 
And when they arrive, they are starving. I don't mean they're a little bit hungry. I mean, they have been on the run for their lives throughout the wilderness. They have not been able to uh, probably find food. And when they arrive, they, they are starving. And they say, give us some bread. And Abiathar says, we don't have any bread. The only bread we have is the bread of the presence, which was prepared and put in the holy place before God. That's it. And that is designated for God's servants who are set aside, who are declared holy for his work. That's for the priests. But then Abiathar asked David and his men some questions. And as they questioned them, they determined, hey, you guys are God's holy servants set apart for his purpose. Not priests, but you are his servants set apart for what God wants done. And so Abiathar, serving as God's mouthpiece here, declares the bread to be eatable, right? It's edible for you, David, and your men, because the principle of what we are talking about is that this bread is for those who are declared holy and set aside for God's purposes. And you're holy and set aside for God's purposes. Oh, man, the Pharisees hated this passage. Because Abiathar gives them the bread because he determines that this is according to the principle of what God declared. It's according to the spirit of what God declared. Did the Pharisees love the principle and spirit of God's law? No, they loved the rule of God's law. And they would much rather have seen David and his men starve to death in this situation. As much as they revered David, they would much rather have seen him starve to death than eat the bread that had been dedicated for the presence. That's for the priests only. So why does Jesus use this example? He wants them to understand that if Abiathar, right, a priest of God, but a human man, right, little in the grand scheme of things, can declare that it is okay to break the letter of God's law in order to observe its principle or spirit, how much more can, Ab if Abiathar can overcome the great principle of God's law, how much more can Jesus, God in the flesh, overcome the silly little human traditions and principles that you guys have set up? He wants them to look at 1 Samuel 21 and say, look at what happened here, guys. I'm far greater, infinitely greater than Abiathar. And God's law is infinitely greater than your human traditions. Of course I can overcome your human traditions. Not only that, but he wants them to understand the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus says, you guys... The law was created for human flourishing in your relationship with God and other people. The whole purpose of God giving it to you was so that you would flourish in loving God and loving other people. But you have taken the law and made it and its rule the priority instead of people, and you're just using it in order to bludgeon others. He says, that's not why the law was given. It wasn't given so that you could hold it and hammer other people with it. The law was given so that it could teach you to love God and love others and flourish in relationship with God. You're seeing it all wrong. You're using it all wrong. And then in verse 28, he comes to the crux of the problem. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus is Lord over the Sabbath. Right? He is Lord over the law of God. How is that possible? Because Jesus owns the law of God 
because Jesus is the originator and giver of the law of God. That is how he is Lord over it. This is a clear declaration by Jesus. I am Yahweh, who giver of the law. I am Almighty God, the one who gave the law. I gave it, I own it, I rule over it. And so you should be coming to me to see how life is lived. I should be the priority here, not your human traditions and human practices and human rules. Well, Jesus' authority is even more on display in the second passage that we're looking at today. This one doesn't take place out in a field. This one takes place in church or, or in the synagogue on a Sabbath day. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. Right? The Greek phrase for a withered hand is one that's used of a plant that has died because it hasn't been watered. Probably some form of genetic muscular atrophy that he has. And the question that everybody is asking is, What's Jesus going to do about it? And they watched Jesus, these are the Pharisees, to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. Why are the Pharisees in worship that day? They're there to judge and criticize. It is impossible to judge and criticize and worship God at the same time. It doesn't work. If our motivation is to judge and criticize, we will be unable to worship God in the way that he has designed. And the Pharisees have showed up that day at worship in order to judge and criticize. They want to catch Jesus. And Jesus said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill it? But they were silent. Jesus wants to know, guys, You're following your human traditions, but are your human traditions leading you to the core of my authority and to what the Word of God says? Uh, The Old Testament law was given to love God and love other people. Your traditions are keeping you from that. They had dozens of different human traditions that they had established about when you could apply medicine. Most of them followed the principle that you could apply medicine in order to save someone's life, but you couldn't apply medicine in order to make someone better. So if I broke my leg and it was a compound fracture and the bone's sticking out through the skin and I'm bleeding, you could bandage it up in order to stop the bleeding, but you couldn't set it in a splint because that would provide long-term healing. So that's work on the Sabbath. And within that framework, Jesus says, what are you guys talking about? Come on! The Sabbath exists to help you love God and love others. Your human traditions and rules you've put in place are actually keeping you from loving God and loving other people. Let's not do this. Verse 5, and he looked around at them with anger. With anger. Grieved at their hardness of heart. And said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. What do we see in these verses? First of all, we see Jesus is angry. This is the righteous anger of God. God gets angry when people do things in his name that are exactly the opposite of his character and his heart. And that is what Jesus is seeing here, and he is angry. 
And he says, you guys are hard of heart. This is actually a phrase used multiple times in the Gospel of Mark. Two chapters later, we're going to see it used about Jesus' disciples, that they have hard hearts. What does it mean? It means to lack faith in Jesus' genuine identity and authority. Those who lack faith in Jesus' genuine identity and authority in Mark are called hard-hearted. And they don't recognize Jesus' authority. They don't recognize his identity. And we see them so dedicated to their human traditions and rules that they are ready to murder to protect them. Right? Let, let's see how we can destroy him. Murder, that, that's one of the big ten, right? It's kind of a big one, not, not murdering other people. And they are ready to murder him in order to protect their human traditions and human practices. What's wrong with the Pharisees' traditions and rules in these settings? Again, it's not that they exist. We all have to have traditions and rules and practices to make it through life. Right? The problem is that they're taking priority over Jesus and his word. Jesus is trying to communicate to them, no, no, I'm the authority. I rule over the Sabbath. But for them, it's their traditions and rules that rule over their decisions. He's trying to tell them, no, the word of God, the word of God is about loving God, loving people. It's about flourishing in relationship with God. Their traditions and rules are keeping that from happening. They're more dedicated to their human traditions and rules than they are to Jesus and his word. So if we were to apply this, I think we can apply it through one great big sentence here, and it's this. Jesus and his word must dominate our human rules and traditions. In order to not fall into the trap we see the Pharisees fall into here, Jesus and his word must dominate our human rules and traditions. And so let's apply this in a couple of big areas in our life. Let's start with family. Jesus and his word must dominate family traditions. All of us come out of families of origin, and we pick up habits, traditions, and practices from those families of origin. There are times when we look at those habits that we've picked up from our family of origin, and we look at the word of God, we say, wait a minute, these two things don't fit together. My, my family of origin traditions are actually keeping me from drawing close to Jesus and being obedient to his word. What do we have to do in those situations? We have to intentionally reject the traditions of our family of origin and grab on to Jesus and what he has called us to in his word. All right, let's think of some illustrations. Uh, men, maybe you grew up in a home in which men were not a big part of the raising of the children. That was primarily left to the mom in the home, and men went around and did their business and did their work. And then you read Ephesians 6, 4, and you realize, no, as a husband and as a dad, I am the one who is primarily responsible for the discipleship of my children. And in that situation, when we see our, our family tradition and the word of God and the desires of God conflict, we intentionally put the family tradition aside, and we run after what is best for us that God has given to us. Maybe our family tradition is that when things don't go well, when we disagree with somebody, we gossip about them behind their back. And then as we're reading the word of God, we're like, hey, God's pretty clear. No gossip, no slander, no tearing people down to their face or behind their back. And in those situations, what do we do? 
We've got to put those family traditions away and follow after what God has said in his word and what Jesus commands us to because that's what's best. Maybe we grew up in families where the pursuit of time with God, drawing near to him, wasn't a priority. Maybe our family even said, we're Christians, we go to church. But within the home, spending time with God, spending time in prayer, being with him, that wasn't a priority that was modeled in our home. In those situations, as we are reading through passages like James 2 and God's desire that we draw near, or Luke 10 and Jesus' desire that we be with him, we go, wait a minute. God's great design is that he ripped the veil in half so that we could draw into the very throne room of God and be with him. He loves that. And therefore, what are we going to do? We're going to jettison that family tradition and hold on to what Jesus has for us and the word of God has for us. It may be that we grew up within a family of origin whose tradition was to not place a lot of emphasis on gathering with God's people for worship and community and fellowship and encouragement. All kinds of other things took priority in our family. Uh, kids' sports and golf and uh, hunting and fishing and cabining and on and on. And, and now as we look at the Word of God and we see God's deep priority in places like Hebrews 10 and Acts chapter 2 and 1 Peter chapter 1 for God's people faithfully and steadily gathering together for encouragement and worship, we say, i got to jettison those family traditions and hold tight to Jesus and the Word. Maybe we grew up in a family where what was practiced was we use what we want for ourselves in terms of our time, our treasure, and our talent, and then we get whatever's left over to God. And then as we're reading the Word of God, we read all about generosity and sacrifice and first fruits, and we realize these things don't match. And so we give up those family traditions in order to pursue what God has for us. Maybe we grew up in a family in which we only talked about Jesus at church. And then as we're reading the word of God, we say, wait a minute, his praise is to ever be on our lips. We're to be his witnesses everywhere we go. And we set aside those traditions of family and origin. We, we intentionally kill them in order to run after what Jesus and his word have for us. The traditions and practices of our family of origin are difficult for us to see sometimes. Because why? Because we've grown up in them. It's what we're used to. I, uh, I enjoy cooking, but I'm bad at it. It's hard on my family. Because I do it frequently and the food doesn't come out real well. Uh, one time a couple of months ago, I left something in the oven, it fell off the edge, some of it fell off the edge of the pan. There's all sorts of burning going on at the bottom of the oven. I'm in another room or outside or something. I come in, there's smoke all over the house. I, I get all of that taken care of, right? And I continue to prepare whatever else we're eating. But a half an hour later, my daughter walks into the house and she says, Whoa, Dad, what went on in here? What burned? I couldn't smell it anymore. Right after a half an hour of just kind of sitting there in the smoke, I couldn't smell it anymore. But walking in fresh, she could smell it. And that's the challenge with the traditions that we bring with us out of our family of origin that don't match the scriptures. We're used to them. We've been living in them. And so how do we gain clarity in this situation? 
by thoroughly saturating our minds and hearts with the Word of God. By renewing our minds. Because as we saturate our hearts and minds with the Word of God, as we renew our minds so that our minds and hearts are trained in the Scriptures, that is the fresh air. So that we can smell the stink of anything that didn't match God's Word in our family of origin. And so we dig into God's Word in order to figure some of those things out. Parents, grandparents, our traditions, practices that we implement within our families, it is important that Jesus and His Word dominate those family traditions. Jesus and His Word must dominate those family traditions. What does that mean? That means that Jesus... And the Word of God need to be the foundational answer for when our kids ask us, why? Right? Parents, grandparents, you ever had a kid in your life who asked, why? When you tried to tell them to do something? Really? Mine asked, why? All the time. For some, it starts at age two. You tell them to do something, and what do they say? Why? For some, it occurs later on in life. But eventually, every kid reaches the place where they want to know why. What are they asking when they ask that question, why? They want to know, what is the authority that is establishing these practices and traditions within our home? Your two-year-old won't say it like that. Right? But that is what they are searching for. What is the authority that establishes the practices and traditions of our home. So when my kids were younger, we have somebody over to eat. We all come to the table to sit down to eat. And my son just starts grabbing stuff, throwing it on his plate. He's halfway through his meal. Nobody else at the table has even been served. What do I say to him? Hey, buddy, we wait and we serve the guests first. And then we serve ourselves. And what does my son ask me at that point? Why? Now, what I answer in this moment is of fundamental importance because it establishes what the authority of our home is. There are a number of things I can point to right now, right? One of those is society, right? Why? Uh, because uh, it's polite, Right? And I can point to culture and society. We don't do that because it's not polite. I can point to people pleasing. We don't do that because people will think you're rude and establish that as the authority of our home. I can point to myself because I said so as the ultimate authority in this situation. But ultimately, we're Christians. What does that mean? That Christ rules over every aspect of our life. And so when I tell my kids that we do certain things in the home, practices and traditions, I need to be, be able to point back to the fact that we do it because Christ has established it and his word has told us to do that. And so when my son says, why? I don't say, because that's not polite. I don't say, because I said so. I say, because Jesus has taught us how to love. And love means putting the other person first. This isn't 
table rule, one of 100 table rules we have. This is really just the outworking of one great principle that we have as a family, that as Christ put us first on the cross, as Christ, Philippians 2 says, lived in a way in which he considered others better than himself, that we are to live that out. If you haven't gotten to the place where you have teenagers yet, let me guarantee you that at 16, because I said so, falls short. Right? That at 16, because it's not polite, falls short. The only hope I have in that situation is that my kid has a love relationship with Jesus Christ and they are committed to his authority ruling over their lives. And if all I have given them is because I said so or because it's not polite, I've fallen short. We're Christian parents. It's all about Christ as the foundation for all that we do in these situations. And so we point back to him. Jesus and his word must dominate our family traditions. Let me move on. Okay, that, that one got away from me. That was really long. I promise these next two will be shorter. Jesus and his word must dominate cultural traditions. Right? Our culture has traditions and practices that we see all around us. I already mentioned one of them is when things don't go our way, when we get frustrated, we complain and grumble. And then as we read God's word in places like Philippians 2 that says, complaining and grumbling should never escape the lips of my people, we say, wait a minute, I, I got to go with Jesus and his word on this, not with the cultural traditions and practices around me. Uh, our culture has a tradition and practice of how we measure a person's value and worth based on what you've accomplished. You, you've got value and worth, more value and worth if you do better in school. You've got value and worth if you have certain kinds of jobs. You have value and worth if you've experienced a certain kind of success in some area. And God's word says all of your value and worth are bound up in the fact that you've been made in the image of God and remade in the image of Christ through his work on the cross. Because of that, you're a part of the family of God. And so we reject the cultural traditions around us and live by the traditions that Jesus has given us in his word. There are cultural traditions around us that are about uh, selfishness, consumerism, and comfort. Sometimes as believers or even as churches, we can get into trying to appeal to people through those cultural traditions. Come to our church. It's the most comfortable. Come to our church and we'll go ahead and lower the bar of discipleship to make sure you make it. Right? Jesus never appealed to anyone's comfort, their wonderful uh, five senses, Instead, he called people over and over again the first time he met them, hey, give up everything and follow me. Hey, give up your life and follow me. Hey, discipleship is about generosity and sacrifice and giving up. And so when we appeal to people through consumerism, through selfishness, through, hey, we've got the warmest coffee and the most comfortable seats, we're actually doing damage to Jesus' desires for discipleship. We go with Jesus and his word. They must dominate our cultural traditions. Jesus and his word differ from our cultural traditions in almost every major area, right? And so the next sermon series we're going to look at is called Marriage and Sexuality. 
And we're going to see that what God has given us in his word and the design that God has given us, very different from the cultural traditions that are around us. We go with Jesus and his word. Finally, Jesus and his word must dominate church traditions. Jesus and his word must dominate our church traditions. I've got a friend who years ago was a worship pastor at a church. And he got shredded because he planned some worship services that were not according to the traditions and unspoken rules that the church had. Now, my friend may have been a little unwise in his planning, right? but the reaction to that by people was to jump into sin, gossip, slander, and we can never so value our human traditions, so value our human practices, that we enter into sin about it. Right? God would never have that of us. Jesus and his word must dominate in our lives. I've seen churches enter deep into gossip in order to protect their traditions. I've seen churches who have stopped preaching parts of the scripture. Because the unwritten rule by which they're measuring church health is add more bodies and bucks, don't lose bodies and bucks. And because the aim, right, the aim which comes out of our culture of, hey, more bodies and bucks is that goal, they sacrifice certain passages that might get in the way of that with some people. Right? Discipleship isn't the aim. More bodies and bucks is the aim for some. Jesus and his word must dominate our church traditions. So when we're looking for a new pastor, for a new elder, right, we don't look according to uh, the traditions of our culture. The traditions of our culture might be about how funny are they? Right? How good a speaker are they off the cuff? Right? How charismatic are they? Right? How, how likable are they? No, no. When we're looking for a new pastor, for a new elder... What are we looking at? We're looking at 1 Peter chapter 5. We're looking at 1 Timothy 3. We're looking at Titus 1. Because right? Jesus' desires in his word need to dominate any sort of traditions that we have. When we plan worship services, we don't want to plan worship services based on, hey, this church down the road does this, so we should do it. We don't want to plan worship services based on, I think most people might like this. We want to plan worship services based on what God has given us in his word. So at the welcome lunch two weeks ago, we sat and we walked through everyone who was at that welcome lunch, right? The six core values of our worship planning that are drawn out of the scriptures. Because we want Jesus and his word to dominate, right? Not any sense of church tradition. Uh, in a few weeks... Kenny and I are going to be doing a prayer seminar on November 12th about prayer that connects with the heart of God. What is that about? That's about a recognition that sometimes in our prayer lives, we pray according to the traditions that have been handed down to us. But in his word, God gives us instructions and he gives us models. And we want to make sure that it's Jesus and his word who are dominating, not traditions in our lives. That they're dominating all that we do. Like Every other church, like every other organization, like you as people, here at Friendship Church, we have traditions, practices, rules. And the problem isn't that we have those. Everybody has those. The problem is when those take precedent over the Word of God 
and over Jesus and his authority in our lives. We don't ever want that to take place here. We want to make sure Jesus and his word are always our authority. So the things that Jesus talks about and that his word talks about, we hold tightly. And those things that are based on human tradition and practice, we hold very loosely. We're going to enter in right now to a tradition that Jesus gave us directly. That the word of God commands of us uh, in taking the Lord's Supper. As we do, I want to remind you that we have been talking about God's ideal today. What he calls us to. And even as I am talking about this, I am reflecting on how many areas over my life I have fallen short. How many times I've sat with my son at that table and told him, because I said so, instead of what I want to tell him. How many times in my life things have been frustrating and I've resorted to complaining or grumbling instead of handling it in the way that God would have me. And on and on we go. When we come to this table, we recognize God lays out for us an ideal and we want that in our lives. But we can't be saved through that because we've fallen short. I've fallen short again and again of these things that we've talked about today. And so as we come to this table, we recognize those ways that we've fallen short in all the kinds of things that I've talked about today. And then we praise God for his great grace that is greater than all of our sin. We praise God for his grace that provides amazing mercy and forgiveness in our lives when we've fallen short in all of these areas, and his great grace that comes along as a loving father and says to his child who he loves, yep, I know. I'm not ignoring your sin, but it is forgiven. And now let me walk with you hand in hand into greater righteousness in your life. Let's go. Because he loves us. I want to encourage you when you're ready to make your way to the tables and pick up the elements and you can return to your seats and I'll lead us in the taking of those elements as we celebrate what Jesus has done on our behalf. And I'd encourage you, would you stand with me and let's praise Jesus as we prepare.